I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo, and we have we have just Eddie. It's Teddy Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Marie. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo, Choice, and uh, another podcast. This is 107. I can't believe how many times I've been doing this. This is uh, an interesting one because most of you out there listening probably don't even know who this guy is. And that's not to put him down. He just hasn't been in the game like some of the other interviews we've had. We've had people who've been in the game for 40 or 50 years. This guy's been around as long as I've been around. It's exciting because I think the future of rowing is in the hands of this dude. He's in D.C. He runs a really big club. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about once we learn where he's from and what we always do is rebranding and revitalizing clubs. We've all been there. We know the clubs. We've seen them. They've been around for a while. They have really bad years. And this guy is at the point, the front. He is the leader of DC National down in the Potomac area. I got Julian Kanya. I had to ask actually how to pronounce his name. I know the guy for a long time. Julian, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks, Alex. That introduction is a lot to live up to, but uh, <laughs> I'll do my best. You know, I thought about that introduction for five days now. All right, and I've and I've been playing it in my head. It's like he's the future of rowing. But Julian, where were you? How old were you when you took that first stroke? Um, so my introduction to rowing was a bit different um, than most people. My dad rowed in high school and came back to it in his forties and needed somebody to cox him and his old man friends at 5 30 in the morning and so i was probably 12 13 and they put me in the boat i wasn't allowed to talk uh just... <laughs> no really i i had to just steer and uh this was at narragansett boat club in uh providence and uh eventually i got in a tub single and uh my dad um really taught me how to row on a double um my high school where i started didn't have rowing um and then eventually i moved to montclair high school where they did have rowing um but yeah my relationship with my dad uh was and what we uh in my love of rowing kind of uh there's a I don't know how to how to describe it, but um, it's a special thing for us. So, okay, this is interesting because I actually didn't know that, right? So, part of this interview, uh, selfishly, I want to know more about you know your background of having having worked with you now for for a couple couple of years now. So, Narragansett, Providence, that's a really good club. It's a very small club. It's uh, the boathouse is like really difficult to to work in. You grew up in the area. Like that is a tough water way to, to navigate as a 12 or 13 year old. So I totally understand why your dad said, shut the hell up and steer straight. Were you in like a four and eight? Like what kind of boat were you in when you were 12? It was a four. I had the sense even at the time that the boat should probably be more balanced. Uh, <laughs> it was, it wasn't a, an experience that I was like, I, I felt like, oh, I can't wait to do that again. Right. Um, was kind of like doing my dad a favor but when i got to actually um rowing and in particular i i remember 
a moment where we did this catch placement the double together okay. and i i i realized i didn't have to like just throw my body forward at like warp speed i i could actually control my momentum and uh help propel a boat in that way and it was like whoa that's really cool i can i can use my body weight to move the boat and um the feeling of uh being in sync with the boat and having it almost be like an extension of my body um the rhythm that like hypnotic kind of uh feeling um the meditative feeling you get from rowing that's really what like drew me to it how uh, how good was your dad back in those in those days i mean was he competing like at the national stage like most masters do no no my dad was uh i'd say an average club rower um okay. sorry tonight if you're listening um but uh no my dad's like five seven and uh he was never um you know he he rode at you know a decent level in high school but um you know that that was it he didn't get recruited or anything um but it was a really meaningful experience for him and something that you know he'd tell me stories and um you know i got i i heard a lot of lore that you know kind of inspired me and you know we'd watch world championships together and you know wow. we look at the storylines and um do you yeah, realize so, how lucky you realize how lucky your dad is to have that i mean his son <laughs> i would kill to have my children love the sport i love as well i mean that's a that's a very fortunate thing for you to be a part of yeah yeah no it's uh it's a really special thing um for us i mean he still comes down occasionally to uh to dc national and he'll he'll help coach he coached me a bit in, in high school and um so yeah it's a really special special way to be introduced to the sport and uh yeah very different from you know most people or at least it seems this way uh you know most people you show up to a program it's an aids program it's like you're part of a machine um and you know for better and for worse um but Anyway, that's that's he, does he like because uh, you know dad's a dad. Dads are the same, right? All the dads are the same. Like, does he come down and tell you what you're doing wrong? He's like, you know what, you should be focusing on this. You should be doing this. Um, he's very critical, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he he defers he defers to my judgment. Um, you know, he respects uh, you know, the the work I've put in um to you know have have an opinion on things that's worth something i i love that all right so you uh well you, you you said you moved right so um what happens in the high school in the high school time frame for you yeah so um i started um i started uh at montclair high school which had a rowing team at the very end of fresh my freshman year um at the time well it, it was mostly a sculling program. It just started. I think that was actually uh, my sophomore year was the first year. It was a varsity team. And uh, I don't know if people are familiar with uh, Montclair High School uh, uh, rowing and what it's become. But, you know, at the time when I was a senior, I was the entire varsity boys team at Montclair. I was I rode oh. raced my single and uh, that there were two there was a JV double um, and, a, and a like a novice quad. And that was the whole team. Wow. And, you know, and it's funny, like Montclair today, 
is a nationally competitive program and they do very well at Stotesbury. They do very well at the national stage as a high school team, right? Um, all right, so you do high school, you're at your sculling and that's very, uh, not, it's not ordinary, right? There's not a lot of high school kids sculling. So what year did you graduate from Montclair? 06. Okay, so you graduate 06. Where do you go next? What happens next in your career? So I went to uh, Michigan. I wasn't very good at rowing. Um, <laughs> okay. Like, like I, I, I loved it. I was a big fan, um, but you know, not uh, really that physically strong. Um, you know, I didn't break seven minutes in high school. Uh, you know, so I wasn't getting recruited anywhere. I went to Michigan, um, joined the club team there, and uh, that was a real eye opener for me. They're they're a strong program. I mean, they're very successful. And in that era that you're there, um, what seven two thousand seven two thousand eight two thousand nine, there are some pretty competitive teams, to boats at at Michigan then. Yeah. So there was a stretch of like six years where three of them, they made the petite final at IRA. Unbelievable. So, um, you know, it was as competitive of a program as, um, I mean, certainly the, the standard of club club programs in college, it's not what it was then. I mean, Tom Pezik was there. Um, there were three guys who were sub six. I mean, you know, it was a serious, it was averaging under six ten. Um, and how did you how did you fit in that squad? I mean, what how how did you jive with those guys? Uh, I loved I loved the squad, but um, you know, I kind of saw the writing on the wall for my rowing future in terms of um, like I'm a very competitive person, and uh, you know, I I didn't really want to like break my back to row in the three D. Um, no disrespect <laughs> to three D rowers. Um, so after my freshman year, I I quit and. Uh, I, I went home over the summer and I had, uh, you know, I didn't have an internship or anything lined up. I was just kind of home looking to have some fun and uh, started just coaching for my local club, uh, Neriot Boat Club in uh, in New Jersey. Oh, doing learn throws. <laughs> and, 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 and it's so funny because you're not a very tall guy, right? You're about 5'8", right? 5'9". Five, 5'10". Five five ten. Ten. Man, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know the numbers. Right? You're five <laughs> ten. All right. So, but you you have it's so funny. Like by the time you hit twenty one, you kind of have like nine years of rowing experience, which is incredible, right? Because you started when you were twelve, thirteen. You 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 have all that time to sort of know it. Your father is in and around you. So, compared to most twenty one year olds, you know a lot more about the sport than than others. And there you are well, coaching think- masters. Uh, well, we, it was, uh, kids, it was just like learn to row stuff, um, at first, but yeah, I think, um, I think learning in the double is probably with someone who's experienced and knows what they're doing. Um, like you, you just learn so much faster than, uh, you know, when you're like three seed and an eight, um, you know, the boat feels really wide and, um, you know, rowing a single, I think, um, you, you do, if you're paying attention, you can develop your awareness um, pretty quickly. I like, I, I, you know what, I, having spent the last 18 months in a double myself, you're absolutely right. I mean, you learn so much more about boat speed, especially if someone who's good with you, you know, if you're, you're absolutely right. I love that. All right. So you, you go home, you, was your dad or mom, like, were they pissed that you quit crew? Cause I hate if my children quit something. Um, 
I don't know. I don't remember, honestly. Like, I, I don't think there was a huge, a huge reaction. Um, when I came home after my freshman year, my dad told me I was rowing badly. So I don't know what he thought of. I don't know what he thought of it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love the critical. I love your dad being critical. All right. So you, you, uh, you're Michigan. It's a great program. You spend your year. You realize you're not going to break your back to be in three V. You go back near you. It's a really good club. I love that stretch of water that you're at. That's Montclair. You know, that's what Montclair is rowing. Um, what did you major in? Cause you're, you're a professional rowing coach. So like, what was your major at Michigan? Uh, it's almost, I, I majored in history. Um, so, you know, I didn't really have a plan for uh, what I was going to do, except um, I thought I'd, I'd go to law school and uh, that was going to be, that was my next step. I went to uh, to Fordham Law, um, which was a, a huge mistake uh, <laughs> with the, the timing of it. Um, you know, around 2010, uh, the legal market was, you know, between when I applied and when I, uh, <laughs> yeah, got there, really cratered. And uh, hold, so, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. So you're skipping a lot of you're skipping a lot of time. You graduate in 06, 07, You're at you're at Michigan. You major in history, right? And then in 2010, you decide to go. Fordham's not that far away. Like we you know where you live, it's probably a, a 45 minute hour drive, right? You decided to go to Fordham Law at the end of the worst recession America's seen in 50 years, right? So why'd you make that decision? Why were you doing that? Were you coaching? Like what was happening in your world at that time? Um, to be honest, uh, so I've got, I've got one sibling, um, a brother uh, who he has autism and I've always felt like a responsibility uh, to look after him and thought, okay, I've majored in history. What am I going to do now? I need to make some money. Um, <laughs> you know, that was, that was really where my head was at. Yeah. I wasn't coaching at the time. wasn't, I, I was, I'd just been coaching in the summers kind of like for fun. Um, you know, I did a bit with a competitive, uh, with a competitive high schoolers coaching them um, from my single sometimes. And, you know, it wasn't. You, you, had, like really a, you had like a, you had like a four or five year hiatus in, in, in really competitive or coaching or anything in rowing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You can say that, but I, I still was a fan. Like, you know, I'd like um, hanging out, how to, hanging out at the bow club. Um, you know, I'd be watching results. I'd be, you know, watching races. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I, I'm, I, well, I love that you just said you're a fan of rowing. I think, I think it, it, um, it's so important. You know what I mean? Like you're watching the world championships with your dad. Like you're, you just love the sport. Forget, forget about participating in it. So did you get your law degree at Fordham? Uh, no. So <laughs> I quit again. Um, no, after, <laughs> which was a good decision. That was a really good decision. Um, because uh, it was heinously expensive and I didn't like it. Um, you know, I, I, it, it, it would have cost well over $200,000 for me to get my degree. So basically, you know, um, 
then you better hope you like it because you're stuck in that profession. Um, and I realized early on that, you know, I liked, I liked learning about everything, uh, you know, the, the law and whatever, but, um, I didn't want to commit the next, you know, 20 years of my life or whatever it was going to be to, uh, to that line of work. You're a, you're a kid, you're 22, 23 years old at this point. Yeah. So, so basically how I got back into rowing, um, my, uh, so when you're in law school, your first, your first semester, your grades in, uh, for that semester are really important and they all come down to one exam like there's no homework at least you know this is the way it was there and uh the week before so you know it's really pressure packed week before my like college girlfriend broke up with me and like it was it was just i was so stressed out and miserable and i hated it and um and, and i knew already that like i didn't want to do it and so, you know, in the aftermath of, you know, taking those exams, kind of sitting at home, it's pretty low moment going like, what am I going to do with myself? And, um, you know, and I just thought, you know what, I need to get out of the house. Um, winter training's going on at, at the high school. Like, I'll just go down and, you know, do, do what I can to help out. So wow so like I, yes. I, I, i'm like i'm taking notes right julian i'm trying like trying to like piece this together you were at the lowest moment of your adult life at this point right your girlfriend breaks up with you and anyone who's listening or watching this podcast knows that feeling when the person you love the most breaks up with you what a terrible person to do it the week before your big exam so you clearly yeah. did not do well I had my whole life figured out, right? Like I was going to be a lawyer in New York City, have my, you know, my girlfriend. It's going to, it's going to be, you know, we loved each other. It's going to be great. And then all of a sudden it's like, I've got nothing figured out. Yeah. So you um, go, you go back to Montclair. So you go to Montclair and they're training and who's, who's the coach there at the time? Uh, Jeremy Miklitsianos, uh, who became an amazing mentor and uh, inspiration. So it's 2010, 11 winter. Is that right? Like your 2011. Yep, that's right. That's the winter. All and right. So it's 2011. So you just, you just go up there and you're like, Hey, can I help? And that's <laughs> yeah, it. that's it. I just, um, you know, kids in the weight room, like, Hey, you want to do this lift like this? Um, you know, hands, body slide. It's a good idea. You should try it. Um, you, know, <laughs> you do this for nothing. free? Is this is this all for I was free? Just doing it for, I was just doing it for free. I was just doing it honestly, Alex, to get out of the house. Because I was like, I need to do something. So you must have fell in love with it, right? Because fast yeah. forward 10 years and here you are. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I fell in love with it. Uh, there was an episode uh, that spring where, you know, after, you know, volunteering that winter, they actually, you know, decided to make me an assistant coach. And I had like, I had the third freshman boat and, um, we and another coach had the first freshman boat who which actually jeremy's son was in wow and then we went to races and the third boat was beating the first boat and i was going like oh it, this is this is kind of fun i'm enjoying this like <laughs> I, I i might actually be have have some you know a little bit of talent for this <laughs> 
And so, uh, that, I just I want to point something out. I want to I want to point something out. You just said the third freshman boat. That is an incredibly deep program. Like in the span of you graduating in 06 to 2011, from the only varsity guy, as you put it, right? There was a varsity double to having three freshman eights. What the fuck happened? Not, not eights. There were fours. Uh, there were quads, actually. So, okay. yeah, but not still, quite. But still, yeah, but yeah. Still. It's still good. Yeah. That's, uh, that's insane to grow that much that fast in five years. Yeah. So, you know, going back for me, it was like, how the hell did this happen? Right. I want to learn what's going on here. Um, you know, and you yeah. get you get this, you get this job. Okay. You're an assistant coach. You're making like three grand for the, for the spring. You're making no money. I'm assuming you're living with your parents to help. Yeah, at, this point, this. at this point, okay. you're living with your family. At, at, so what happens in, in these, you know, five, six, seven, eight years that you're, you're with Montclair? Cause you're there for a while. Like you spent a lot of time in North Jersey there. Were you side hustling? What, what was going on in your professional life? Um, yeah, I tried a bunch of different things. Um, you know, nothing. I, I didn't really enjoy anything as much as I liked being, you know, as I liked coaching. Um, you know, I, I did a bunch of a bunch of different uh, jobs and internships and um, and different, uh, you know, some worked in design, worked in marketing. Um, but ultimately, I, I realized I loved coaching most of all. And so I was like, okay, how can I make this work? Well, I went back to school, got my uh, graduate degree in teaching. So my plan was like, I'm going to teach. Um, I'm going to coach. So did you get a job at Montclair? Like what, what happened when you got your degree? <laughs> when I got my degree, uh, my girlfriend, uh, now, you know, partner Kelsey, uh, decided that she'd had enough of New Jersey and we needed to move. Um, so <laughs> we, uh, and, you know, in, in the meantime, we had found a, a good amount of success uh, with the Montclair. Uh, it was mainly helping the boys and Jeremy. Uh, but yeah, we had a couple of years where we won SRAs and youth uh, and uh, Stotesbury and um, came third at youth nationals. And um, so that kind of helped grow my confidence in uh you know what I was doing, um, but then yes, once I got my teaching degree, um, it's time to move to uh, to Maryland. Okay, so now, all right. So you're funny how you tell a story. By the way, uh, I'm like I'm pulling some things out of you here, right? So let 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 loose. Here we go. So you're Montclair. You get this job. It's part time. Becomes more full time. Side hustles throughout you everyone knows Montclair had some success in those years right so when what year did you move to Maryland like what your how long were you in Jersey to when you moved to Maryland yeah so uh, I was coaching with Montclair for eight years I, I moved in uh, summer of 2018 um and uh yeah took a job as head coach uh actually I, I wasn't the head coach at the time varsity boys coach uh with Montgomery Boat Club which is uh yeah wrote out of Bladensburg, Maryland. Okay, so this is where it gets juicy because we will be talking about about some stuff here. So you get in 2018, summer 18, you get a job at Montgomery Boat Club, right in Bladensburg, and people know DC. Bladens, there's there's what one, two, 
three three major areas in DC of rowing, right? There's Bladenburg, there's Anacostia, and there's Thompson's Boat Center. Forget about Alexandria. Bladensburg is like the forgotten child up in, up in that little area. It's a, it's a tiny little boathouse. So you're the varsity boys coach. And I'm assuming you were going to try to get a job as a teacher because I know that you could not afford to be the head coach there. Like they couldn't pay you enough to live in DC. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I showed up, it was like pretty apparent right away that uh, the program uh, was going to need some serious attention if it was going to um, turn around. Uh, there'd been um, the old, the old coaching staff had all left. There'd been like a massive disagreement with uh, the board, and they took a lot of the best kids um, on the team with them, the fastest kids on the team with them, and uh, yeah, things were things were looking pretty down. I had a bit of money saved up, and I was just like, you know what, I'm going to. Uh, I'm just going to push this for a year and see what happens. Wow. So you, you, you like you and your partner, Kelsey, right? Yeah. Said yeah. there is like, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to find another job. We have money saved up in DC, one of the most expensive areas in the country in hopes to turn this around. Are you kidding me? Did I act like you actually did? Made that well, we were in Baltimore to be fair. So we were All living right. in Baltimore, substantially cheaper. Yeah, that, that's a big, that, well, that's a lot of driving. I mean, that's 50 minutes in one direction. Yeah. More yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just knew that, like, I kind of wanted to, I mean, look, I have, a, I have a teaching degree. I can find a teaching, I can always find a teaching job. I wanted to make sure that I wanted to get like the coaching thing going on rails because yeah. that's really why I, I got the teaching degree in the first place so I could coach. So I wanted to get the coaching thing on rails before I got my teaching job. Wow. Okay. So 2018, you guys are Montgomery rowing club, right? Montgomery boat club. I remember all this and not to throw anyone under a bus. I know the coaching staff that left and I know where they went. And that's a, that was a very challenging moment for dozens and dozens of families. I mean, you're gutted. I mean, people are gutted, right? So what happens in 2019 and 2020? Yeah, so um, we didn't love rowing at Bladensburg. Uh, and that spring, so I came in the fall, that spring, we moved to a different location um, and basically went from rowing out of a parking lot to punching a hole out in the woods um, in the middle of nowhere. And uh, it is started. the middle of nowhere. It is the middle yeah. of nowhere. That is a like you actually lose cell service for a while <laughs> while you're getting over there. At least I do on my T-Mobile plan. So spring 2019, you guys, you guys identify another place to row. How did you identify that place? Because that's there's not a lot of waterways in D.C. There's not a lot of access to rowing. Yeah, we'd had some parents who looked at alternative places. So. For context, this is like 35 miles away from where we were rowing before, mm -hmm. and it's closer to where most of the families of these kids lived. Um, and so people had done a little bit of athletic work already on, you know, alternate sites, and apparently they'd already brought this, the idea of rowing here to the previous coaching staff, and they, for some reason, didn't think it was a good idea. Um, but, you know, as soon as I saw it, I said, you know, we need to be here. And uh, it, yeah, moving in, um, 
but we moved mid-season. We just knew we had to be there. We wanted to take it uh, as soon as we found it before anyone else could. And, uh, you know, moving 35 miles away, we, we thought, you know what, um, we might as well also change our name. Actually, pre the previous coach trademarked the old name, Montgomery Boat Club, and we didn't want to... Uh, we didn't want to fight him for it, so we just took a different name. So this is cool. So I, I, I well, I want to get into the lessons learned in a little bit. I want to finish this this story arc here. Um, early 30s, right? You move 35 miles away. You find this new location. You guys decide a name, uh, which is a pretty cool name, DC National. I love the name. Um, you, you get buy-in, and then COVID hits. Right. A year after you guys do your move, COVID hits and you guys really like it's a big deflate. Right. So tell me team size, how much has changed from the day you moved in 2019 to, to today? Yeah. So um, at our low, I think we were at about 50, um, you know, the, that first year. Um, There's a lot of turnover. Um, then uh, today it's like 85. Um, and yeah, it's just been steadily built, building, trying to get it a bit better every year. And how about how about like some 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 success? Has there been any kind of success that you want to hang your hat on from 2018 when you moved to to today? Have you seen well, like national level success? Well, yeah. So I was pretty proud. Um, you know, this past spring that we qualified uh, a boys eight um, at, for uh, youth nationals. Um, qualified a girls for, um, had some U-17s qualify, our 2B boys qualified. Um, so, you know, I was pretty pretty happy about that. Um, obviously, want to go further with it. Um, you know, always trying to raise standards and, you know, push on to the next thing. Now, for someone in his early 30s, like for me, I could tell you, and you know this, like I'm set in my career, right? Like I have found where I'm headed for the next 20 or 30 years. I know things can always change, but am I safe to assume that this is this is what you want to do for the next 20 or 30 years? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I love it. Uh, I love the mentoring part of it. I love seeing uh, the kids develop. Um, I think, you know, rowing is an incredible character development sport. Um, you know, it's so hard, you know, to, to really push on and try to do your best is, uh, You've got to try to be the best version of yourself, you know, the old Dave O'Neill um, idea. So you're you're running this program. It, parent support is so important. So what message do you have for people in your position and other clubs in how you manage relationships with parents and how you spread some of your time out between managing them, managing the team success and the athletes and the coaches? Like, how do you spread out? your time and your uh, effort? So I think um, very early on, if you're going, if you're coming into a new position uh, and you want something to get done, um, you need to be proactive about getting people on board before the board meeting. Like, you know, if there's something that you really want to have happen, um, if you try to just like bring it up out of the blue, it's not going to work. You have to be proactive. You have to talk to people. You have to listen, hear their objections, think through it, come back to them. And, uh, and so that, you know, when you want something done, there's not a question of it's, of if it's going to happen, um, you know, if it's really important to you and if it's 
not going to happen, then, you know, you've got to think about like, is this the place for me? Um, I think that, uh, you know, you mentioned the the three different, you've got the parents, you've got you know, the coaches, you've got the, the, the kids. Um, I think it's important to understand that what you communicate to them and who you, uh, what you what you communicate to them is ultimately their vision of you who they think you are it's your brand i guess you could say and if people think different things about who you are or why you're doing it or like what the goal is it's not going to run smoothly like it's going to run smoothly when everyone understands what this what we're trying to do how we're trying to do it and um, so, you know, I'd say be authentic because if you try to be someone you're not, your messages are all going to get mixed up. And uh, you know, if you're if you're true to yourself, um, communicate well. Um, you know, you get the buy-in from everyone, and you know, it's harmonious. That's extremely um, profound. It may not. It may you may not think so, and you're laughing here, but. I have interviewed hundreds of people and I've never had someone say, say the same message, the same way, be authentic to all three different groups. You know, like I know a lot of coaches that are different when they're on the water coaching kids and they speak differently when with their parents and then they speak differently. But if you're the same person across all levels, your vision, as you put it, it's your brand is going to be successful, right? It will get, you know, you'll get the buy-in that you need. That's like, that's a very profound thing to say at what, 34 years old. Thanks. No, I appreciate you saying that, but um, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's not just the people in, in your organization that all radiates out to the community and, you know, your, your kids, your families, that's your word of mouth. That's, that's how you get talent. And, and, you know, when everybody's, has the same idea, um, you know, it's powerful. Well, you know, you also, you, you, you were very, uh, you gave me some lawyer talk here earlier when you said being proactive with the board meeting. That's a very, uh, that's first year law school 101 right there, right? Like you have to prepare <laughs> for the presentation, right? You have to prepare. And it's, uh, that's, a, that, that's a very, I guess, also very smart thing. You know, there's a lot of young coaches out there in their 20s who wait until the board meeting to say something that they really are engaged with and you got to get buy-in early. I mean, that's another really important thing for people to know. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, you know, if, if you bring up something for the first time at a board meeting, it's not going to happen with young coaches. That's a really smart <laughs> thing to say. You know, you know, you know, Julian, I've always said this about you behind your back uh, is that you're, you're a very even keel person. Like you're very, you're very even. And, and, and level-headed and you're very patient with your words. You're very patient with um, communication. And I think that's the opposite of me, right? Like I, <laughs> that's the opposite of me. And it's really important for people who are in your position to, to adopt some of that, right? Because you are running an 85 child you know, youth program with double the parents, right? And don't, so you're running, you're basically the CEO of a 250 person company and you gotta, yeah. be, you gotta be relaxed. Well, I mean, I think so. I think, you know, different situations call for different things. Like on the water, you've got to bring energy, 
right? Oh, like you can't. Of course, of course, of course. You, 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 um, so I think that, um, yeah, trying to speak like clearly and ha like not add in stuff that is irrelevant. Um, you know, that's part of how I try to coach and, um, you know, try to communicate with people. All right. So let's, let's get into what happened and, and how you fixed it. So rebranding for programs and fixing, fixing from an old regime happens all the time in rowing, right? When there is a coaching staff that does not have the same vision as the athletes and the parents, things go wrong. And then when you have new coaches come in rebranding, what are some of the lessons now in retrospect, right? 2020 vision, did you learn rebranding a team? Um, I think, you know, having a clear sense of purpose of why you're doing, of why you're doing things, um, super important. And, you know, for, I think you've got to keep in mind that So many kids, the vast majority of kids who interact with rowing um, through your club are not going to be in your boat that goes to youth nationals. It's important. Their experience is important. Uh, uh, sorry, their experience is important. The quality of their experience is important. Um, you know, the, yes, you want to perform at a high level. Yes, that's what I think ultimately um, the, the pursuit of performing at a high level is what gives people uh, all the character development that, you know, ultimately is why we like kids rowing. Um, but I think balancing that with also making sure that everybody who comes into the team, try to give them a good experience. Well, um, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen here, right? There's, there's probably a seven to 14 person board member, like boards, like members of the board, right? And you have especially in this part of the world, you have a lot of type A, like strong level people, right? So when you guys decided to change the name, to change the location, how many people were involved with that decision? And looking back on it, was that a good thing? However many numbers, or would you have changed anything with those decisions? Um, I wouldn't have changed anything. It was a really tumultuous time uh, with the board that first year we were making those decisions. Uh, the majority of kids actually, or the majority of parents who were on the board when I joined, their kids quit within the first year. So oh. like, yeah. So yeah, it was, um, so I'd say recruiting's really, really important guys. <laughs> you know? um, no, in all, in all seriousness, um, if you want to drive change and you know it, it, the kids who quit it wasn't on bad terms you know I, I kind of came in um with my ideas about you know what we were going to be doing and it was different from the reasons why they were you know maybe they they liked it because you know their friends were doing it but they didn't really want to work that hard like it you know it wasn't really a match for them which is fine um but if you want to um you know raise standards and um drive change like you better recruit because you know your job depends on it. How many? But but so so get back to this though. How many people were involved in the decision making process? How many adults well, were there doing this? Probably about ten. But you know, at at the end of the day, there are people who there are the people who are more influential, 
And those are the people that you need to talk to who, you know, like the president of the club, the executive board, like the people whose voices, uh, you know, carry the most weight, like those are the people you need to get on board. What's your relationship like with the president and the, you know, executive group? What's that like? Um, I'd say it's, I'd say it's pretty good. Um, you know, they've been, they've been, uh, supportive and, uh, you know, without a supportive board, you know, we wouldn't have been able to, um, you know, get to where we've gotten to so far. So I, I, I mean, I want to dive a little bit more into that. Okay. I know I'm going to pry, I want to pry this yeah. little spot here. I, I, um, someone I look up to very much is Mike Wallen and, I've learned a great deal from him in the last couple of years and his relationship with the president of their club is the biggest reason you see their success. He, 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 he spent a lot of time cultivating that relationship because the president ultimately spent, I don't know, I want to say five or seven years with the club. So how important is it to have a great relationship with the head coach, you and the president? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really important and you've got to find, um, it, I think, you know, we've got a parent board. So uh, you, in my situation, um, if, if I get two years out of a president, that's good, uh, or three. So, you know, um, I've got to stay uh, a little bit flexible and just, you know, people have different ideas and, um, you know, I, I, I listen and, um, but ultimately I think, you know, with time people have come to trust me and, uh, you know, trust my judgment and, um, I feel a lot of support, but yeah, in the, in the beginning, when you're not, uh, when, when you haven't built up that goodwill and that trust, like, I was spending a lot of time talking to people, just getting them, get, getting to consensus on, on my vision. So what do you think is possible for DC National? Like if, if you had to paint your future board, right? Like if you paint, you know, you have your wall of like success, right? This is what I want, my vision board. What's the vision board for DC National? Well, I mean, the main thing I'd like to do right now is to build a boathouse, but uh, that's really difficult. So, um, you know, that's right now, um, as we are, I think we're just trying to get a bit better, get be more kids in, um, you know, compete with the top teams in the country. Um, you know, if, I, I feel like if our operations are really good, um, Maybe every few years we can we can really be in the mix in the eights, um, but you know, to to really um, do what I want to do, um, we'll, we'll need to build a boathouse, and that's going to be uh, an enormous project. Well, I can tell you, Georgetown's been promising that for twenty years. Uh, GW, where I went, promised that in two thousand four when they were recruiting me. Uh, that's a really tall order, man. That's a really hard thing. I think though. Where you are located, you might have a little bit better chance, right? I think, I think where where you found your location, could you build a boathouse on that ground there? Uh, not not really. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to say any more about this because um, you know it's <laughs> sensitive. But 
You keep, I love you. Keep, you. There's things you keep close to your chest. That is, that, that is a right. I love it. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, well, so you said something earlier, you said um, mentorship, right? So Jeremy was a great mentor to you, or you were, he was a great mentor to you. You're young. You, we're, we're both young. Who, who are the people most influential in your life right now that you call, text, or email for support for the team? And because uh, you know you don't know everything, right? You're, you haven't been doing this for 50 years. Yeah. Um, no, Jeremy's still, uh, you know, my uh, my guy. I mean, he he's uh, a former international uh, rower for uh, Great Britain. His dad was an, uh, an Olympian and uh, coached Great Britain at an Olympics. Um, so he knows his knowledge is just like encyclopedic. So um, yeah, no, I, yeah, just enjoy enjoy talking to him. Really, he's a great guy too. So that's. Are there others that are there other people in the industry that you call on or ask for help? Um. No, I mean, I listen to, I listen to my assistant coaches. Um, you know, I, I listen a lot to your podcast and, oh. Uh, oh. no, in all seriousness, um, I, I think that, uh, I try to find people who I think are really smart and just listen to what they're saying and try to understand. I mean, you know, as a young coach, you've got to be a student of the sport. You've got to be you know, like I, I said, a fan of the sport before, but um, you've got to try to find really smart people and figure out, even if you don't think, look, it's easy to be critical. Easiest thing in the world is to look at the boats that are going fast on race day and going like, oh, they're missing their catches or, you know, whatever. They're, 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 I don't like how they row. Well, if you want to go fast, you better find out, figure out for yourself, like, why is it they're going so fast? Because like they're doing something right and you need to figure out what that is because, you know, you could, you could use that maybe. It's so funny. I think, I think, I think you're right. The, uh, the amount of ego that's in this sport is unbelievable, right? So you just, you immediately criticize when someone's faster than you and you don't look at why they're doing it or how they're doing it. Um, yeah. And that's probably... That's, I mean, you, you've, you've just naturally, that's a, you can't teach that, right? That's just something you've learned in your career and, and what you've picked up on. Um, you know, Julian, it's so funny, man. I, I thought I knew you, but I didn't. And I am really glad I got to learn your story. And I'm just going to do a recap for anyone tuning in because it's actually a really cool story. Your father, high school rower, five foot seven, come back into rowing at Narragansett, which is one of the smallest boathouses in America. It's absolutely tiny. He tells you to shut up kid and steer a boat. You get into a double, you learn how to row in a double. You're one of the only, you're one of the first varsity programs at Montclair. You're not very good. You don't even break seven, which is hilarious. I, I love that you told me the truth on that one. And you're laughing because that's slow. And then you fizzle out of Michigan. You fizzle out at, at, at a law, trying to get a law degree at Fordham. And you you nickel and dime your way and, and, and you, you grind your way to, to becoming the head coach of DC National and the program director of DC National. And like, you're a student of the sport. It's fantastic. I can't wait to continue following your career and see what happens when you're 55. Because I think 
I think quietly and slowly, you'll become a name that's recognized in our sport. And I and I and I I don't say that lightly. I hope you know that. Thanks, Alex. That's uh, that's really kind of you to say. Um, you know, at the end of the day, just want to you know share my love with of the sport with people, and I think that um, you know enthusiasm can be infectious, and um, you know it's a great sport. What's not to love? So, I, I last question for you. Uh, we're recording this while the World Championships are going on. Are you so much a fan? Are you paying attention? Are you seeing what's going on out there? Yeah, I can't believe uh, you know the Canadian A setting the quickest time uh, in the in the heats. Uh, I think GP is still. Uh, if, when people hear this, they'll know the they'll know the result. So I might end up with egg on my face, but I think uh, GP is still my pick in the in the well, men's eight. Well, did you notice the women's eight that won the preliminary race by a pretty comfortable margin? I was a bit shocked by that. It was a really intense. Yeah, I, I never really tuned in to a race for lanes before, just because you know, like, what's the point? I was yeah. shocked by the intensity of it. Um, you know, they were really racing. And how about, uh, yeah, that was uh, impressive. How about the men's single? How about the men's single? So I, I caught that this morning. Ali Zeiler did not get first in the quarterfinal. Um, I think there's a lot of shakeup in the sculling. In the sculling, do you pay attention to sculling at all at the? world championship level yeah oh absolutely and uh you know the greek scholar at the olympics was like just an amazing amazing uh story and performance um but you know right now i feel like it's wide open like i don't know what's going to happen it's um you know one day you're up next day you're down so oh, it, I, yeah, I i'm really excited to see it and then do you, I mean, how much do you pay attention to, uh, forget about the world, right? But like us rowing, do you, do you follow that pretty consistently? Yeah, I do. I, I follow it. I, it's it's so I love that you're a fan of the sport. I, I really, I listen, I, I really appreciate it. But anyway, people tuning in, watching, listening, uh, keep an eye out for DC national. Now this is the start of the fall season. I know those guys are going to, um, the Charles this year, you know, you guys will be going up there. If you want to learn more about Julian, the program in BC, uh, we'll put a link to the website. And uh, this is episode 107. We got more of this coming next week. Julian, thanks for being here. Thanks, Alex. See you, everybody.